Hey guys, it's Mandy with Global Hemp Association. I wanted to say thank you so much for joining. I'm excited about the opportunity to build a relationship and connect this supply chain. I mean, after all, that's why we started the association. Our association was built on the foundation of connecting supply chain, building relationships, and helping you grow your business. Anyone from farmers, manufacturers, and distributors, people that are passionate about the supply chain, and those creating products selling into biofuels, plastics, textiles, construction, and building materials. Okay, well, Ted, I'd love to hand it over to you and give an intro. I know you've got a little presentation that you're going to give. Other than that, thank you very much, everyone, for joining. And Ted, it's all yours. Okay, right on. Uh, thank you very much, Mandy, for inviting us in on us being uh, Canadian Hemp Trade Alliance and Federation of International Hemp Organizations. And so jumping into the Canadian story first, Canadian Hemp Trade Alliance, you know, to this group, it's very clear that, you know, hemp is cannabis, it's, but it's it's not marijuana. Although this is well known to everybody on this call, it is a, a slide that I, that I insert each and every time. In Canada, hemp is defined as cannabis sativa L plant or any part of that plant with less than 0.3% THC in the leaves and flowering head. Hemp has multiple market opportunities. Hemp seed for food, primarily dehulled hemp seed, hemp seed oil, hemp protein concentrates, toasted hemp seed, and other opportunities in feed, fiber, and fractions. And fractions, largely, we think primarily about cannabinoid extraction from flowers, but there are many other bioactives that are present in the plant besides cannabinoids in flowers, leaves, stalks, and roots. So the fractions sector of our industry is, is really un, undeveloped. CHDA is a CHDA is a uh, nonprofit federally registered corporation. We were formed in 2003. The business of CHDA is directed by the board and implemented by management with supportive committees. Our vision is to be the go-to information for our go-to organization for information for all of our stakeholders, public and private. And the purpose is to champion a diverse and robust Canadian hemp industry, which benefits all stakeholders. Our five pillars of the hemp industry are farming, food, feed, fiber, and fractions. And all of those in balance all the time is the goal. The hemp industry is really, we believe, not able to be stable, is not able to grow consistently, and not able to turn into what it needs to be without all five pillars being successful. On farming, our focus is on genetics, agronomy practices, regulatory practices, industry alignment issues, food. We focus on, although food is well-developed in Canada, it's still growing. We're developing standards to assist terms of trade, as well as looking at domestic and export food ingredient opportunities. For feed, we need regulatory approvals with the Canadian Food Inspection Agency. For fiber, lots of interest. We're going to see a, a more than doubling of our commercial decortication capacity in Canada in 2022 and again in 2023. So that's beginning to turn into its own area of significant growth. And fractions, tightly restricted on the cannabinoid side because of the Cannabis Act and industrial hemp regulations, and, and quite frankly, also relatively restricted for non-cannabinoid extraction at this point. Our priorities of the organization, governing with excellence, make sure that your house is in order, make sure that you've got good 
procedures, decision mechanisms in place. If you don't have your internal house in order, it's very difficult to serve the interests of others. Government relations, it's both communication and advocacy. I think globally, we find ourselves in the hemp industry governed or regulated by individuals that don't necessarily know our industry, its practices, its requirements, or even our products. And then advocacy to seek change in regulations or policy to unlock growth, while at the same time protecting human health and, and, and the environment. Promotion Research Agency, this is, we provide uh, management support to, to the Canadian Hemp Promotion Research Agency group of producers that are in the process of forming a national levy body through the Farm Products Council of Canada. And that is now months away, uh, could be nine to 12, somewhere in there before we're actually in a position of collecting. Membership, inform, communicate and grow over time. Market development, trade shows, seminars, trade contact, facilitation, research, genetics, quality, cost of production, and standards, again, across the way, is consistent terms of trade. Committees is really where the work is done in THTA. Our standing committees, executive, finance, and governance, as well as ad hoc committees formed by the board, government relations, market development, the uh, CHPRA, which is really, we just host that group. We, it, is, it is a group of hemp producers and importers, a research committee and standards committee. When I say that, that committees is where the work is done, I've never been associated with a industry association that has had such a significant body of subject matter experts who volunteer their time. And these are the chairs of all the committees. We have 19 committees and subcommittees under research. There's, you know, there's subcommittees on projects, under standards, there's subcommittees by function. But when you go down the members, all of the committees across industry, research, regulatory bodies participating in that structure of committees and subcommittees, we have a total of 183 positions that are, that are filled by volunteers in our committee structures and with 90 unique committee volunteers. And like I said, that is a significant resource that quite frankly, CHTA would not be able to deliver the program of work it does without those 93 individuals serving in 183 volunteer positions across our, across our committees. We assess our membership at the day of the annual meeting each year. Last year, we had 292 individual members in, in the organization, representing nine out of 10 provinces, including 14 international members from Europe, Asia, Latin America, and Oceania. And our directors are elected by members. We also track members by function, and there's a total of uh, 634 members involved in various activities, and why, and that's again, more than twice as large as our total numbers, because many members are in fact involved in more than one activity. And so we do have a very strong representation across the producer, manufacturer, processing equipment, consumer products, service consulting students all the way through. So that is the basic structure of our membership. For hemp in, in, uh, in, 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 uh, in, in Canada, it, really is 
a function of uh, processing capacity, driving growth in acres over time. And globally, it is the same thing. It, it really is build it and they will come global industry. So I've been tracking since 1999 acres in, in, in the global hemp industry. And what we see is the four major players are Canada, Europe, the United States, and China, and then all others. Uh, all others are primarily South America and uh, Central and South America and Africa with a little bit of acreage in, in South Asia as, as well. So the peak was uh, about 580,000 acres and just under 500,000 acres in both 2021 and 2022. So again, pretty consistent growth since 2010 in the global hemp uh, sector. In Canada, we had our establishment year in 1998 when hemp was re-legalized. Always lots of volatility, primarily based on individual trade opportunities that have come and gone, that have created, have come, created optimism, increased contracted acres, and then in many cases went away, resulting in carryover inventories of, of primarily uh, hemp seed. But even in Canada, processing capacity has driven overall acres year to year. And for Canada, we had peak acreage of about 110,000 acres in 2017. That was based on an uh, exuberance of optimism, based on significant export of product to South Korea in 2016. That market sort of collapsed the following year, and we were carrying inventory over for several years after that. And it really was a depressive effect on new plantings in Canada. 2022, we'll see our first acreage increases due to both fiber processing capacity, along with some very modest increase in seed hemp seed processing capacity as well. And we're sitting at uh, just under 80,000 acres, about 75,000 acres estimated for 2022. We are a trading nation. We are a trading, we are a trading industry. Our exports peaked, as I said, in 2016, um, I, I referenced that before, at about 145, $145 million. In 2022, we're estimating will be about $100 million in, in exports. Whole hemp seed, which is primarily de-hulled hemp seed, the way statistics work. Uh, sorry, I split them out. So whole hemp seed, primarily export for processing and for seeding in other markets. Exports of de-hulled hemp seed is by far the majority of, of our exports, but as well protein products and meal, hemp seed oil, and processed fiber is starting to come on in, in 2022. So again, a good mix uh, dominated by de-hulled hemp seed exports over our previous years. On imports, we do import, although it's much lower levels than what we export. And that has also been increasing over time. The biggest single import over all the years has been imports of hemp seed, and this is the one where there is really no ability to separate what is dehulled hemp seed versus whole hemp seed for seeding. But again, hemp seed and hemp seed, processed hemp seed has been the largest generally. We did see a massive spike in processed fiber imports in 2020. And this is when value-added processors began importing their feedstock, primarily a baled bast fiber from Europe, in order to make full utilization of their capacity. And these companies are producing primarily 
insulative and absorptive products. And, and that has decreased in 2021. And we expect it to decrease going into the future as this domestic supply of ba- processed bast fiber increases over time. So looking at a kind of a net trade basis, we export about 35 times the value of product that we import. Our biggest export markets, uh, US, Europe, South Korea, Japan, New Zealand. New Zealand has primarily been a combination of food and planting seed, plus another 47 countries over the last six years. On imports, again, uh, US is our largest import market, Europe, China, Ethiopia, India, and 60 other markets over the previous six years. So a pretty dynamic trade environment for our industry. Uh, Looking forward to 2030 and what our industry believes is reasonably possible for seeded acres moving from our current level of you know of about 60,000 acres up to 230,000 acres by 2030 and for economic contribution to the economy moving from our current approximately 550 million dollar contribution to a billion dollar contribution in in 2025 and almost 2 billion dollars in economic cooperation contribution by 2030. And by 2030, the actual industry sales will have reached a billion dollars as well. Now, right now, the projection is that, again, food will be the center point of of our industry with feed starting to come in. That's likely underestimated until the feed market is actually licensed and running. Typically, about 10% of an industry's production will move into the feed market. So I would think the feed part of that stack bar chart will increase, you know, as it becomes more of a reality. Fiber, significant contributor, and the fractions market, while important, is not, we believe, going to dominate in any way today or uh, into the future. Looking at at economic contribution and size, I'm not going to go through all the numbers, but as I said, acres up to 229,000 acres, you know, a significant increase in total tons of produced product, Farm gate sales moving up to almost $300 million, exports closing on $500 million, industry sales again coming up on a billion dollars by 2030, creating another 3,400 jobs on top of what we have today. And again, an economic contribution of, of about $2 billion. I do like to always put in an estimate of corporate, federal, and provincial taxes paid by our industry, moving from $13 million up to almost $50 million. Because governments sometimes do fund some of our activities, we like to remind everybody we also contribute to their coffers as well. On our programming, we do promotion of market development funded by Agriculture Canada and CHTA and its members. Research, we have a number of public funding partners as well as CHTA and its members. And standards, we've enjoyed the support of Standards Council of Canada and also co-funded by our our, um, our, uh, our members. So overall, about 40% of our program funding is public sourced and 60% is, is provided by, by our industry. On our promotion of market development activities, conferences and meetings, which is really part of the information engagement education function, is really centered to that today. National Hemp Conference, which will be in November this year in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. I would invite everybody to, to register and come on up to Saskatchewan in November and attend our conference. We do a hemp producer workshop. We do strategy workshops and we have hosted international conferences as well. Trade promotion. We do trade lead communication, 
trade shows, international seminars, and looking at developing a member-led partner market development program in future years. Education and promotional materials, websites, social media, and production guide, as well as support materials for our trade shows and international seminars. On research, the opportunities are quantifying credible consumer advantages, creating value-added fiber opportunities, enhancing funding coordination across crop sectors, and collaborating with like groups in Canada and internationally. Our program design is focused on agronomy, where it's about production, innovation, and efficiency. It's everything from genetics to fertilizer to crop protection, product usage, crop rotations, maximizing the ability for hemp to provide solutions to the broader agriculture community. Food and health is is really consumer demand for hemp foods. We are still shopping around a project that will have three outcomes. One is it will will identify content claims can be made for all of our hemp foods that don't need Health Canada's pre-approvals. Today, basically, omega-3 and protein is what's on the labels, but there are more content claims that are possible. Second is function claims that also don't need pre-approval by Health Canada. So industry can use function claims uh, on label. Health Canada can challenge those. So you have to make sure that you do the research up front to confirm them. And the third part of food and health is identifying how hemp consumption of hemp foods or hemp products can contribute to disease reduction and therapeutic claims or which disease reduction and therapeutic claims can be made. We will look at indicative claims based on the global body of research, as well as identifying the human trials required to prove out those disease reduction and therapeutic claims. That will likely give us a decade of work afterwards to slowly work through those health claims. Livestock feed, important cash market to farmers and processors. We're well into the process of submitting uh, uh, registration applications for specific hemp feed ingredients across multiple livestock classes, primarily ruminants, poultry, pigs, and aquaculture or fish. That's a long process. It's it's an intense process as well, but we are making great headway and enjoy working with, with those working on the same challenges in other markets, including the U.S., Industrial fiber applications, quality production and assessment, primarily what we're focusing on, and sustainability, life cycle assessment on farm, primary process and secondary process products, as well as creating uh, environmental product declarations or at least templates for retail food, processed food ingredients and building products. On the LCA work we're doing right now on sustainability, we're nearing the end of a LCA model at the NAP for the national production of hemp, drawing from 10 different production systems that exist across Canada. So it will identify a whole, uh, you know, give us an LCA uh, for primary products and begin the process of, of extending that LCA to food and processed fiber and biomass and root products. And then we'll move into the LCA for secondary process products, such as bast insulation, hempcrete with and without load-bearing capacity, drywall boards, cabinet boards, engineered flooring, it kind of goes on. Bioplastics, PPE and PE replacements. That's both polymers from cellulose as well as epoxies from oil. 
biofuels and industrial products, such as growth media absorptions and erosion control products. The EPD process is really key to market access, protection of markets and growth in retail food, processed food ingredients, building products and natural health products to have a very strong environmental product declaration, including your carbon footprint and other sustainability measures is important today, will be vital tomorrow. And we're building that infrastructure now within our industry. I should say within that research, all of it is designed to be transferable to other jurisdictions. So we're developing templates and methodologies that other countries would be able to adapt to their production systems and be able to create their LCAs and their EPDs as well. On hemp standards, they're costly to develop, but they're useful. They define us at a local level and a global level. They're a tool to help us deliver what customers expect at every stage. They can affect regulations. If industry doesn't develop standards, regulators will step in and create policy and and regulation. If If we do a good job in standards development, regulators will simply monitor that those standards are being followed. So we can either take the lead ourselves or we can leave it to the regulators. And we've made the decision that it's important to develop that very strong standards base across all elements of our industry. Standardized standards is also important at every level, but particularly globally. So we work with ASTM International and our peer national and supranational hemp associations around the world to ensure that any standards we develop in Canada can be translated to a global basis, published by ASTM and supported and and by, again, the major hemp associations globally or major hemp industries globally. Our goals for food is to establish common industry expectations for feed, use the standards process to assist in registration of hemp seed and its derivatives around the world, not only in Canada. Fiber is consistency across industrial uses and develop unique testing methodologies that don't exist today. If you've got a hempcrete today, the testing methods for for water resistance and for temperature variation requires you to use a cinder block test method where the block is soaked for two hours, brought out frozen, thawed, soaked for two hours, brought out frozen and thawed. By the time you do that with a hempcrete block, it's porridge. So new unique test methods are required really across the entire standards area. And fractions is to establish accepted requirements from farm to the point of extraction. On regulations, because I knew this was not gonna be primarily a Canadian group, I'll just touch on the high points of regulations in Canada. Our entire industry is, is regulated by the government of Canada, primarily Health Canada, although feed regulations, for example, are within the Canadian Food Inspection Agency. But overall, the Cannabis Act and the industrial hemp regulations do cover most of and regulate most of the activities within the cannabis industry, which is legal in Canada, and the industrial hemp sector, which is largely carved out of the Cannabis Act through the industrial hemp regulations, where we're able to operate on a much lower regulatory threshold. Farmers have to obtain a uh, license, uh, uh, an industrial hemp uh, regulation cultivator license to buy viable hemp seed and to produce or to grow industrial hemp. Farmers can grow and sell and store hemp seeds, straw, roots, and as well, biomass and chaff once they have a license. 
They have to report seeded acres within 30 days of planting. They can only plant cultivars, which are on the Health Canada list of approved cultivars. And they can only use pedigree seed of at least certified status. And that seed has to be purchased from a member of the Canadian Seed Growers Association. Uh, looking at differences between Canada and the US, I'd say that run right there likely defines the biggest difference between our industries. Genetic stability versus genetic innovation in the US. And I'm just going to make one statement on that. We've been operating now in Canada for 24 years and we've never had a hot crop. So having well-regulated genetic sector is important to ensuring you have positive outcomes when you plant a seed and expect a certain plant to grow. And if you don't have a properly regulated hemp seed environment, you don't know what you're going to get necessarily. Uh, use of herbicides, pesticides on hemp is controlled under the industrial hemp regulation and the CFIA as well. And we're continually expanding the number of crop protection products that can be used on hemp. For hemp seed for food, hemp processors buying viable seed have to obtain a hemp processing license. Farmers can sell to those processors. Farmers can also export hemp seed if they obtain Health Canada export permit. So can brokers and traders, as long as they have a permit or license. All processed foods can be traded in Canada and exported without a license. They're specifically exempted. So once you create Behold Hemp Seed or hemp protein concentrates, they can be bought and sold and exported with no permitting from uh, Health Canada. They are exempt completely at that point from the industrial hemp regulation, subject to having uh, less than 10 parts per million Delta 9 THC. There's no limits on non-THC cannabinoids in any of our hemp regulations. And it is important to note that after 24 years, there's never been a recorded human or animal health issue related with hemp foods. So our hemp foods are safe. Hemp seed for livestock, I've said hemp seed ingredients or hemp feed ingredients are regulated by the Canadian Food Inspection Agency. All feeds have to be safe for livestock, for humans, both by consuming them and also by working with them and have to be safe with for the environment. Not currently registered. We've been working on this for two and a half years. I think our total expenditures have passed $350,000 now, and we're going to continue to expend on that. It is that important to us. CHDA is seeking registration first for hemp seed and its various derivatives for all major livestock groups. Once that's done, we'll move on to hemp stock, hemp roots, hemp leaf material that is relatively low in THC. Straw for fiber is exempted as long as they are mature hemp stocks stripped of flowers and leaves. At that point, processing is done without license and the products can be sold without license or permits. For hemp chaff or biomass, as of 2018, farmers could harvest and store that material, but licensed hemp cultivators can only sell that material to licensed cannabis processors under the Cannabis Act, and only they are allowed to extract cannabinoids and they can sell to three markets, provincial, territorial, and indigenous retail, regulated retail markets that are adult use, Canadian medical marijuana program, and international medical marijuana programs that are recognized by Health Canada. So for example, our, our licensed cannabis processors can export to much of Europe, particularly of very large exports to Germany and emerging in other markets, but we cannot export to the United States because the U.S. doesn't have a recognized national medical cannabis program. 
So we can't export to the U.S., even though the U.S. would likely be willing to import hemp-derived tinctures and, and, and concentrates. Export of hemp chaff is also not allowed, as Health Canada considers that product to be covered under the UN 1961 Single Convention on Narcotic Drugs as a precursor to narcotic drug production. UN uh, Expert Committee on Drug Dependence has recommended to basically basically remove all low THC hemp extracts and tinctures from that convention and effectively remove it from international government control. On international uh, cooperation, first I'd like to present the Federation of International Hemp Organizations. The idea of a new global hemp industry association really began in 2019 when a small group of hemp associations met in Calgary to discuss potential merits and there was strong support to proceed. A working group was formed with 20 hemp associations, really reflecting the global hemp industry, to seek consensus on formation, explore the potential and need and functions and value, draft foundation documents, develop membership structure, create a budget and appoint interim directors. And that work was facilitated by Emerging Ag Inc. Uh, uh, Robin Anderson and her team did a fantastic job. You can imagine how delicate that work could be and an Emerging Ag did a fantastic job. Out of that, the FIO mission, bring together industry leaders, market expertise and resources, speak with one voice on hemp issues at the global level. It uh, will not stick its nose into national issues. That will always be the, the purview of national uh, hemp associations. Identify, identify and create opportunities to scale sustainable hemp production, marketing and trade and benefit global hemp industries, consumers and the environment. The membership structure is, is broken into large supranational and national hemp associations, small supranational and national hemp associations, subnational hemp associations operating at the state and provincial levels, hemp companies and individuals, government agencies, research institutes, and aligned non-hemp not-for-profit organizations. So those are the primary membership groups. And supranational, for example, would be the European Industrial Hemp Association or the Latin American Industrial Hemp Association, where they cover a region and not just a, a single country. The interim board of directors was appointed at the end of the working group. It is asked to elect interim officers and committee chairs, which it's done, ratify foundation documents, and it's done that, develop initial operation procedures, it's completed, and prepare for the first AGM on November 18th, 2022, which will be a hybrid format in person and online in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. And members will ratify the foundation documents, and most important, they will elect the first real directors of the organization and the business of file will be well underway at that point. The interim board of directors was appointed and elected, and they include Michael Bronstein of ATACH, Charles Clovis from Australia, myself and Keith Jones, both from Canadian Hemp Trade Alliance, uh, Hong Liang Ding and Jason Fung from China, Daniel Cruz and Lorenza Romanese from Europe, Rohit Sharma from India, Joe Hickey from Kentucky, Lorenzo Rolim from Latin America, Patrick Atagi from the National Industrial Hemp Council, Hunter Buffington as well, Kyle Bingham from Texas Hemp Growers, and Gaurav Dixit from the Uttarakhand Hemp Association in India. Interim officers elected by the interim directors, myself as board chair, board vice chair Daniel Cruz from Europe, Secretary Hong Ying Ding 
from China and Treasurer Patrick Adagi from the US. Ad hoc committee chairs, communication engagement, Lorenzo Salim from Brazil, policy and regulations, Lorenza Romanesi from Europe, and most recently co-chair Hunter Buffington from the US, and research standards and sustainability, Keith Jones from Canada. So our first annual uh, AGM in Saskatoon, watch for invitations and information as it comes out over the next month. And I would strongly advise each of the organizations and companies to consider membership in FIHO. And whether it's a member or not, consider at least coming in to view the AGM. And if you become a member, then you can actively participate in nomination process, etc. So that brings me to an end. Thanks, Ted. There's probably a lot of questions. Tasha, I know that you made another or had another comment. And then there you had another guest who's actually here from Africa as well. So Tasha, did you have anything else you wanted to ask? One of the things, and, and it might be under your sustainability committees, but how are you measuring progress? What metrics are in place? And you know, lessons learned as you're implementing and standing these things up. Obviously, it's a great framework. It's amazing what you guys have put together. I relate to it a lot. I spent 20 years in financial services building risk and sustainability frameworks. So I'm like eating this up. I love it. But just, you know, how do you measure yourself and progress and then obviously the lessons learned for others as they work to implement a framework like this? So is that from an organizational perspective or or specifically sustainability? <laughs> Overall, the whole program okay. um, yeah. as you work through the country and even sustainability. And I, and I would also add too, is there a coordinated effort from a disaster perspective, meaning climate change, as well as Canada is obviously in a very cold climate through part of the year. Africa has rainy season. So as the country is coming online and more and more, are we looking at, for example, if the eastern side of the country ends up having a master, a, a major flooding or major snowstorm or a longer season? How do you ensure the sustainability of the crops as well, too, and measure that? Sure. Okay, thanks. Resiliency is the code word within sustainability sure. to deal with, you know, ability of an industry or crop to cope with extraordinary events. So I'm going to address briefly the metrics around the organization. There's internal and external metrics that we use. These are key results indicators that we have. And they would include, for example, the number of members and range of members, the number of seated acres, the value of industry sales, the level of exports, those kinds of metrics, numbers of jobs, the metrics that we have some influence on, but they're not directly, you know, we're not directly responsible for. We can only influence them. Secondly, is, is internal. It's both financial and operational. So looking at, did you meet financial revenue targets? Did you meet financial expense targets? Net over time, are you stable? Do you have cash flow, et cetera? So those operational. We have adherence to our governance processes. So that's a check mechanism to see have we stepped outside of governance with respect to decision-making processes or just processes that, you know, that guide everything from elections to hiring, firing, and, and performance assessment. So from an organizational perspective, that, that is operational-wise, how the kinds of metrics we use. But there's a broader perspective. As an emerging industry, 
we have a number of obstacles to grow that have been sitting in front of us for a very long time. Some of those obstacles have been dealt with, many others have not. So the good work that Manitoba Harvest did to reach a self-declared grass status on hemp food products was very, very helpful. That, that moved us ahead where the FDA recognized hemp foods are safe, generally regarded as safe. But that also brought to us a number of other questions. So what claims can we make around protein? What claims can we make around the fat content of our foods and the fiber content of our foods? And, and what, you know, what, what functions can they provide? Can hemp seed hulls be used as a natural you know, motility product, a laxative to join senna seed coats and psyllium fiber in the natural laxative world? And that work has not been done. Work around Again, registration of livestock feeds hasn't been done. The, the nutrient, anti-nutrient content of hemp foods is not as well understood as what it might be. The, our, in our case, national, but also globally, the regulatory structures that we operate under, where are the specific obstacles to growth? And so we've been over the last few years really in a process of identifying obstacles to growth that we can address through information or informate or data generation and research. And, and, and we're just focusing on removing those obstacles, some of which we can do internally ourselves, others we simply cannot. And again, on the research side, standards is very, very important. If you're selling increasingly to Walmart, Kroger, they want to know, are you a sustainable industry? Are you a sustainable company? And what's the sustainability rating or, or metrics of that food product that we're going to put on our shelves? And if, it, if you're going to sell to Mondelez or Nestle or Quaker, they want to know what is your sustainability you know, metrics, because that will affect the sustainability metrics of their processed food products. If you want to enter the lead version four sustainable building area, your building products have to have environmental product declarations, or they simply cannot be recognized as low carbon products. Hell, we don't even know if they are low carbon products until we do the research. So all of that, I consider building the scaffolding or infrastructure under our industry that can, that can remove those obstacles, unlock opportunities, and allow hemp to develop into the sector and the crop that it should be. And we have many of those obstacles in front of us. So that really is the primary metrics that we use. Thank you. Thanks for that explanation. You know, in Africa, and I'll, I'll relate my question specifically to our communities in Uganda, where they've been growing agriculture for generations and they're not out of poverty. And we've seen the many opportunities with hemp just on, on the surface to help bring these communities out of poverty, but just even to meet their minimum or most basic survival skills or needs with that. But then it is all of the byproduct opportunities that will create new businesses and jobs that will really get them out of poverty. And even if it's just the simplest of things that don't have to meet the criteria that a lot that's still underway and being researched today that would have to be met. I mean, just a few of the byproducts that hemp offers today would be providing so much opportunity and even saving lives. And in our just in Uganda alone, in, in 400,000 households, 
So yeah, it's amazing what you guys have done. Thank you. It's all step by step. I'm going to share just briefly one slide that I took out of my previous presentation, but I but I I will share just one slide, and that is the FIHO working group. And and you know one of the questions that you know exist is is this international organization going to be inclusive, and is it going to you know is it going to be part of really reflect the global industry and again looking at ATACH, Australia, Canada, China, Europe, Friends of Hemp South Africa, Hemp Feed Coalition, Hemp Industry Association, the Hokkaido Industrial Hemp Association, Indian Industrials Hemp, Kentucky, Latin America, Mongolia, the NHA and IHC, New Zealand, Oregon, Paraguay, Texas and Uttarakhand where all of the hemp associations that were involved in the 20 hemp associations involved in the, in the in the working group. So being inclusive, having the skills and having the perspectives present is vital to anything you're doing beyond your own borders. I think that's really where we're going to move our industry forward, right? Is through the collaboration. And so I there's a couple of questions. Karen had a question. Let me scroll back up really quick. She was wondering if the Federation of International Hemp Organizations is approaching or learning what it will take to get the Codex Alimentarius standard approved for hemp food? Right. So, you know, from a five-hole perspective, again, this was, you know, today really a, a very preliminary, you know, presentation. But FIHO's primary responsibility with respect to global regulation is is going to be focused on intergovernmental you know organizations and those intergovernmental organizations are are you know include for example food and agriculture organization with their focus on sustainability the organization for economic cooperation and development with their global seed scheme codex alimentarius on a number of areas one is contribute to and a number of our the, the FIHO members are uh, participating in that process. Codex Alimentarius on addressing labeling of uh, hemp foods. But Codex also addresses maximum residue levels for crop protection products in, uh, in various different groups or crops, including hemp, which they have started work on. And if you don't, you know, if you're not part of, uh, of, of Codex, on an ongoing and recognized basis, then your your knowledge and your perspectives will not be heard and therefore will not be incorporated. So, you know, into the the regulatory guidance by those intergovernmental agencies and organizations. So others are the World Meteorological Organization and the International panel on climate change to engage there mm -hmm. to engage with the ecosoc it's the you know the economic and social division of um, of of the united nations world bank to address issues of financing uh, undp un development program for issues of of uh, hemp in development of, of 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 rural communities globally if you don't engage, your voice is not there. If your voice is not there, 
your needs and ability to contribute will be unheard. And another great example of that is, is the Commission on Narcotic Drugs, its advisory group, the Expert Committee on Drug Dependence, and its related International Narcotics, um, INDP, International Narcotic Narcotics uh, Board, that is the link between what is recommended by the Commission on Narcotic Drugs and what countries actually eventually implement in their national regulations. And when you look at this uh, in total, how is it that many of our countries have very similar regulations on many, many different elements of agriculture? And over 30 plus years, I came to recognize it is the work of the intergovernmental agencies under the UN that makes recommendations, that does the work on a consensus basis, and then through its various different outreach elements, encourages national governments to adopt those regs. So what is happening in the Commission on Narcotic Drugs now, in the next three, five, 10 years, will start to show up as national regulation in our countries. Our countries, hemp and cannabis regulations are shaped by what happens there. And if we are silent, if we're absent, then those regulatory requirements, those regulatory recommendations get developed without any context for what industry can do, for what industry will do, what industry will be benefited from, and what industry will be injured by. So really, it's that, it's advocating and educating within that intergovernmental agency world is the primary purpose for FIHO coming together. The fact that it will be a place of shared information of coordinating research on sustainability to avoid gaps or to fill gaps and to avoid duplication, to coordinate the research on livestock feed ingredients. If if we need a minimum of three global research feeding trials on whole hemp seed fed to laying hens, then we should have a place to coordinate that research so that we don't end up accidentally with six. Instead, to guide member organizations to complete the research that's necessary to fill the gaps in order to achieve our shared objectives of livestock feed ingredient registration. So that's all gonna be great. That's gonna be fantastic, shared area of creation, but intergovernmental regulation, intergovernmental uh, organization liaison will be front and center for what FIHO will do. And it's absolutely vital, just like the meat industry has done just like the fertilizer and chemical industries and pulse industries and so many others have cereal crops have done in past. They're there, we're not, we need to be. This is how we get there. Looks like one just came in. Neil, where might I find information regarding air filtration standards and practices and grow facilities? ASTM International through their, and, and FIHO will be developing a, a formal relationship with ASTM many of its members, including Canadian Hemp Trade Alliance and uh, National Industrial Hemp Council and others have formal relationships with ASTM International today. ASTM has developed committee number 37, which is cannabis, likely soon be called cannabis and hemp. There's subcommittees. They have quite a number of them. D3707 is industrial hemp, but there is D37, I think 04 is laboratory practices. D3701 is indoor and outdoor production. So the answer is within the subcommittees of D37 is where you can identify what air filtration 
standards exist or are being developed for indoor production of cannabis and hemp. That's where it is. I don't know of any other place. Fabulous. If you're not a member of ASTM International, as an individual or an organization, I would strongly recommend you do that and get involved if you want to learn or you can contribute either way. It's cheap. Yeah, it's only like $75. Yeah, for an individual. Yeah. And you can still fully participate and contribute. Organizations are 500 US a year. So that's a little bit more. And then you can serve in leadership roles. That's the only difference, whether you want to serve as a committee chair or not. Anything else Ted, that you want to say, maybe what are we, what, what are some focuses we in this group should really be, be making? And I feel like you've hit a lot of them, but anything last that you want to add? Well, I think market development promotion, you know, that's to the company level, that's to the individual organization level, but all areas related to research and standards and coordinating the work associated with research and standards is so vitally needed by our industry. And, and that can go down to as applied as coordinating on genetic development, coordinating on, on livestock feed ingredient registration, on confirming you know, the content function and potential disease reduction therapeutic claims of hemp foods. You know, all of that is just very, very important and open to areas of collaboration and, and coordination. We are duplicating now. And as resources grow in our industry, we'll, by left to our own, we'll duplicate more and more. But at the same time, we are leaving gaps. And so let's, let's help each other by making sure we're not duplicating work that doesn't need to be done and that we're filling gaps and being, use, you know, being useful in deployment of our collective resources. That's yes. the most important. I second that. Karen, go ahead. Yeah, I have one other question. Ted, are you working with any particular universities up in Canada that are doing research or doing gap analysis or? Yeah, we work with a number of universities in, in Canada. Today, we've worked with University of Alberta, University of Saskatchewan, University of Manitoba. We've worked with the University of Toronto. We've worked with Dalhousie University. We've worked with National Research Council, not a university, but another important public sector you know, right. research group. We work with provincial research entities, Saskatchewan Food Technology Center, with InnoTech Alberta. So yeah, we're engaged pretty broadly in those areas. And when we find a researcher's you know that head is starting to stick up above the rest, we'll jump in and see how we can uh, work with that new researcher in a in possibly an institution we haven't worked with. But everything we do here, we share widely. So we share everything we do on feed with the hemp feed coalition and others in the US and exchange, they in turn share with us and we work cooperatively with Europe and, and others. So on sustainability, there's only two organizations that I know are leading right now on LCA work in, in hemp and that's the Australians and, and the Canadians. So we are in a collaborative process ensuring that the work we do will actually contribute to a shared LCA template that can be adopted and adapted more, more widely. And we're not just replicating each other's work without a conscious decision to build on it and, and, and build it together from, from day one. So we start without that consultation. We start without that cooperation and coordination, but we work toward it. And as long as we clearly define the difference between 
pre-competitive where we all benefit and competitive where we fight like hell for market share, we'll be just fine. Perfect, perfect. Anybody else have anything they want to add or any other questions? Go ahead, Tosh. Hi, Ted, thank you so much for all the information that you've shared. And this is definitely going to be a topic for a whole separate call, but, you know, Africa being not necessarily online, there are projects going on, as I've heard, but in standing up a program like this for for a continent, or maybe even starting smaller, like with the EAC or the ones that are already kind of coming online, funding, how, I mean, obviously you have membership and whatnot, but how does an organization get buy-in for funding, supporting operationally building out a framework like this? And do you tap into like the World Bank or UN or anyone like that that may have grants and stuff offered around something like this? So I'm going to answer FIHO is focused on all operations costs funded internally so that it is not dependent on any external funding for operations. And, and I think that's important because public sector funding can come and go mm-hmm. and it will potentially do some programming where you know, guided by its board of directors and members, where that programming clearly is contributing on a global perspective and not national or regional perspective. It might be related to generating information that will consolidate guidance to the OECD, Codex Alimentarius, you know, FAO, Commission on Narcotic Drugs, World Meteorological Organization, so on. But there, and that may well have some private-public participation in funding, but this will be funded operationally by membership fees. It's likely not going to be a 500 membership organization. It will likely start with 10 or 15 members because it is the Federation of International Hemp Organizations, which is the core element operating at the regional, national, and subnational state or provincial levels. Uh, there's a hierarchy of, of privileges. There's a hierarchy of membership fees, all of that, but still having the right players at the table. Built into this membership fee structure is, is fee rebates triggered by seated acre numbers within OECD nations or developed countries and non-OECD nations or developing countries that up to 5,000, you know, if you have less than 5,000 hectares and you're an OECD country, then you will have some fee relief. If you have less than 10,000 seated hectares and you are a non-OECD country, then there will be some fee relief. And that's designed to allow folks to enter, to allow countries to enter on a, on a reasonable basis that's affordable, but there's no free rides. That's one thing that I've seen in other places that if there's a free ride, then the participating agencies will generally look at it as a free ride and their value of contribution tends to go down. So we have to also respect the fact that there are legitimate industries that are developing in countries in in developing countries around the world. And, you know, we look forward to having them at the table. Thank you. 
Okay, cool. Well, I'm excited to continue to get involved and continue to support and collaborate. So um, I, again, I encourage everybody else to do the same. If you guys need anything, please don't hesitate to reach out to us also, Ted. I know we have a lot of the same people or partnerships and collaborations going. And so I'm with you instead of wasting resources, you know, collaborating to move forward. So, and we'll sign off after that. So thank you very much, you guys. <laughs>